Broadcasting to Ottawa Senator fans around the world. Around the world. It's the Sins Nation Podcast. And now, here's Steve Warren. All right, welcome to another episode of the Sens Nation Podcast. It is Steve along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. And since we last gathered, Sens have now lost three of their last four. Last time we got together was a week ago, and the Calgary Flames had just been annihilated by the Ottawa Senators 6-1. to one. Since then, again, 1-3. and three. And So we're going to launch into all Sens issues going on right now with the club and around the league to some degree. And uh, how are things, coach? I'm doing all right, Steve. A bit of a cold, but uh, it's uh, all but gone now, I think. Maybe another day or so. You were saying off-air that, that wearing a mask has protected you, you think, this year from, from a cold. But we had one go through the house here. It's pretty much spread through everyone. And it's my turn, I guess, for this week. Right. And you've got. A, and we're not talking just a couple of people living there. Like a good chunk of your <laughs> hockey team are there, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, we'll, be, we'll be up to... Uh, 14 players in the uh, in the player side of the house by the end of this weekend. Right. And it's this not a place. bungalow we're talking. This is not a bungalow. This <laughs> no, is a big place. Palatial estate, my friend. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Any news? Any news with the team? Uh, we are almost good to go. The government has uh, health, Alberta, Alberta Health, have looked over our proposal. And uh, similar to what the dub put in, similar to what the Alberta Junior Hockey League, the AJ, put in, a um, couple T's to cross, couple I's to dot, and we should be good to go and playing and practicing fully within the week, we hope. Yep. All right. Well, good luck to the Ice Dogs. Go Ice Dogs. Go Slave Lake. <laughs> and uh, we'll keep an eye on that. And uh, now let us get on to the matters at hand, and that would be all things Ottawa Senators. And uh, we'll begin launching in with the state of the team right now. And uh, they closed out. No, they started a, a Western road trip. They played in Montreal and lost 3-1, and then followed that up uh, last night, as we're recording this, with a 7-3 drubbing in Calgary. Man, the West Coast, or the West side of the country, certainly does not seem to agree with the Sands. Matthew Kachuk, little float pass, trying to sauce one over to Dylan Dubé. Shabbat takes over. Zoo coughs it up, Kachuk turns, now Dubé shoots, scores! Hat-trick, goal! For Dylan Dubé, and Calgary quickly increases their lead in the third. And that courtesy of TSN, Johnny Abbott, our old friend with the call, sends full in the game 7-3. to three. And some games you say, okay, 7-3, you know, the game was closer than that. No, that was about right. Maybe even could have been worse. Uh, Sens did not have a good night in their own zone. And so what do you think, Greg? Um, state of the team type of a, of a thought to start things out, what's your vibe about the Sens right now? They've gone one and three since our last episode. I, I don't know. <laughs> There's the professional response you were looking for, huh? They just they've they've looked <laughs> flat. I don't know. They they've looked more flat lately. Um, the 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 jump, the the um, compete level, that work ethic, that that old school pesky Sens that seemed to be there for a good stretch um, seems to have dissipated. Um, it just didn't look the same in the last couple Calgary games, at least. I mean, the half game wasn't terrible. Um, I just, I, I don't know, Steve. I can't seem to put my finger on it. It, it, it. You know what I thought at one point last night? I was thinking, oh, we're back to this. At the beginning of the season, remember we were talking about all of a sudden the opponent goes, hey, it's the Sens for God's sake. And it turns into a men versus boys thing. There was even times that I was thinking about that last night in the, in the 7-3 loss. They just don't seem to have the same drive and spunk and tenacity and all those Brian Burke words that they had for a really good stretch there before this this last little road swing. Um, what, do you, what are you seeing or what are you thinking? Well, it's difficult to define what this team is right now. There's a little part of me that wonders if, because early on I think there was probably a disrespect level and they could sneak up on teams and... I don't right now I just see a team that's in disarray in their own zone. I can't decide if it's disarray because of concerns about goaltending or um I just uh, look at a team in their own end whether they have the puck or whether they don't have the puck more importantly in their own end they just don't seem to know what's going on and uh and that's a concern. I have no issues with what's happening up front. Uh, game by game they just uh, all, all the young players they have up front I think they're you know, you add in a Shane Pinto and an Alex Formanson someday, 
boy, that's going to be a really imposing forward core. What I don't know is what they have on defense. You hope that all these guys on the way, a couple from, or three, maybe as many as three in North Dakota, maybe a Lassie Thompson. Will this be enough to supplement what they have right now? I mean, I, I look right now at what's going on defensively, and I look at Thomas Shabbat and Artem Zub, and I don't see that as the the the, the top pairing answer. Zub is, I'm really impressed with Zub, don't get me wrong, but I don't know that he's ready for those first line type minutes. And uh, even Thomas Shabbat, I mean, he's gifted with the puck, gifted in the offensive zone, but I haven't seen any improvement in that player for a couple of years in his own zone. Yeah, and and we've talked about D-zone turnovers like all year long, and it's not just D-zone turnovers. It's That's when they have the puck. It's getting the puck. Their their positioning looks off. Their, Their down low switches are wrong. Guys are looking around like where am I supposed to be right now um it was like that at the beginning of the year it seemed to have gotten fixed for a little bit and now it's looked a little more like a like a tire fire again these last couple of games um and but you specifically asked about Shabbat I I agree with you um it's a two-headed monster his his offensive numbers his possession numbers are great but at the same time if I'm not mistaken he leads the league in giveaways now, there are those that are going to say, well, yeah, okay, but he plays 25, 26, 28 minutes a night, so it's going to happen, but that can't be happening. He still has times in the D zone where he's he seems to be soft. Um, he's not the most physically imposing guy, so that plays into it. I just you're, you're right. He seems to have stagnated in development defensively while he continues to show good growth and development offensively. So what's the answer down the road? The answer down the road is, get him a good partner, consistent defensive stalwart partner, and hopefully that clears things up. Yeah. I think when you look at, ideally, you'd want a right shot defenseman in the big picture, and uh, I got to think that Jacob Bernard Docker would be the first name one might look at um, because, I mean, they, they, I mean, Lassie Thompson, if he pans out as an NHL player, he's a first-rounder, so they still have high hopes for him. But as another right shot defenseman, he's also a puck mover and a stick checker. And you'd want someone, ideally, who can who provide a little balance as your partner. Uh, we've talked about it before with Eric Carlson. When he was at his best, he had a Mathot or a Kuba riding shotgun with him. Guys that weren't concerned about jumping into the rush that much or, or you know, it's more like just staying at home and, and minding the store. And I don't know if there's a guy in the organization like that, but I'd say that if I'm to look at the most likely possibility... Jacob Bernard Docker and and what he projects to be anyway would seem to be possibly the perfect partner. Yeah, exactly. And you're right also, they do not have such a player currently on the roster in Belleville um, sitting on a taxi squad. They just don't have that guy. They have guys who at one point in their career could have been that guy. Like a good Branson certainly at one point in his career could have been that guy. Um Colburn could have been that guy, but for now, it's uh, it's JBD who may or may not be coming out of school. It's, <laughs> you just brought him up. Um, Brad Berry, coach at uh, at UND, has said that this is a player who who he thinks is ready to come and play and and can make the jump. It'll just become a decision amongst uh, amongst family and agent and player and school and the Senators too. Don't forget the Senators will play a role in that decision. If the Sens say, "Yeah, we'd like you to come." then that factors in. If the Sens want him to stay in school another year, but I can't see them wanting that. I'm sure they would want him to come out right away, which means uh, probably, well, as little as two weeks, uh, his season's over as long as uh, four or five weeks until he's done, and uh, he could be up here playing before the end of the year. Yeah, it could be a mess at the deadline because you'd have to assume that some bodies will be coming and going, and you think about quarantine and North Dakota is one of the better teams. And if they go all the way to the Frozen Four, then you're in a situation where I think that ends almost to the day of the trade deadline. So there could be quite a bit of uh, cycling of bodies in yeah. and around the second week of April for the Ottawa Senators. So should be interesting. And I did, um, I'm sure the people, when I bring up J- Jacob Bernard Docker as uh, that name on defense that might be a good op- option for Thomas Shabbat. People going, okay, what about Jake Sanderson? What about Tyler Clevin at North Dakota? 
And, uh, well, you look at those guys, they're left-handed shots, so that's probably not the ideal answer. They wouldn't be the first guys to play their offside, but uh, in all likelihood, if you want someone to ride shotgun with Thomas Chabot, you want a, a true right-shot defenseman. Or, you know, what's your feeling on that as a coach? Do you have um, a preference? Would you rather guys on their natural side, or if guys are skilled enough, do you mind putting them on their offside? Uh, well, to be honest with you, I've never understood the whole coach steadfast gotta be this way gotta be that way how about just put the guy where he plays best and he's most effective if he's a left shot and he's best on the right side and most effective on the right side then that's where i want him (laughs) and vice versa i don't have to have three right shots on the right side three lefts on the left it just what's what's the point put the guys where they work best you've got the same thing with forwards you know like alex ovechkin's a right shot he plays left wing he's a he's a threat coming off the wall on his offhand right Oh, he's suddenly going to, wait a minute, he's got to play right wing, he shoots right. Like, it's just, to me, that's silly. You put players where they're best, where they're most effective, and where they're most going to be able to help our team. Certainly, as prospects go, they don't come much more blue chip, in theory, than Tim Stutzla and Eric Brandstrom. And both of those guys are playing in positions they'd rather not be in. And they're being good soldiers. They're doing what they're told, and that's what every young player should do. But Brandstrom wants to play on, I mean, he is a left shot D, but he wants to play right shot. Tim Stutzla is a center and wants to play center, but he's happy on the wing for now. Would you, given how blue chip a prospect each of these two guys are, would you not start at this stage, you know, having longer looks at those guys in the positions they actually want to be in? Because chances are, if they're in the position they're comfortable in, they're probably going to be eventually more successful. Yeah, like there's a there's a line there. There's a there's a certain time frame where you need a player to get comfortable, to to get used to the pace of play, to get used to you know, just the NHL lifestyle. There's all kinds of things that they need to get used to, uh, to learn and develop before they're ready to take off. Let's say so. Timmy Stutzla playing left wing. I think he may be ready now. My own personal opinion. I think he could probably be ready to play center now. But then having said that, Steve. He didn't play center in the World Junior. He didn't play center all last season in Mannheim. Is he really still a center? Like, (laughs) yeah, okay, he's a center. Everybody says, oh, he's a center, he's a center. Well, it's been two years since he played center. As for Branstrom, he's a guy where, yeah, I I think by now I would have just, I would have put him over there because he's up, he's down, he's up, he's down, he struggles, then he plays well, then he struggles, then he looks terrible, then he looks good. Like, let's just find a way to get him on the right-hand side and and let them try it and see what see what we think. Uh, I I don't know that they've ever. I don't even know if I've ever seen him play a shift over there. Right? It's time to maybe in his case to to put him over there for a whole game and see what he can bring. My God, he's small. When we were watching oh, Sens and Flames and seeing Milan Lucic continually running him through the end boards, like Eric Carlson, not a big player either. Probably a little taller than Eric Brandstrom, but Carlson was elusive. Brandstrom just takes hit after hit. I'm, I worry about that guy because I think he'll be a really good puck-moving defenseman in a couple of years. He's not there yet because I think he's still figuring things out, as you'd expect a young player to try and do. But right now, I see a player who's just taken a lot of abuse out there, and I wonder if that guy can stay in one piece because he is, you know, they're small, and then there's Eric Brandstrom small. Yeah. There was one shot last night where he was coming around the net, and he did a little cutback, and the way the camera angle was... He came right into my living room as he got schmucked into the wall. Like the right. end boards right into my living room. I'm like, oh, God, kid, look out. Uh, I, I think there's only one thing that we can say with 100% certainty at this point in time about Eric Branch, and that is that acquiring him should never go down in history as the greatest day of Pierre Dorian's life. Yeah, particularly what Mark Stone continues to do in Vegas. Yeah. He, you know, I, I think I think Pierre Dorian, and I'm not going to anoint anyone a genius for turning the page on certain players, guys like Eric Carlson, Kyle Turris, Matt Duchesne, those all worked out beautifully, but I'm not sure that they turned the page on them. Yeah, right. What was the motivation? Yeah, the motivation was, yeah, these guys are going to be coming up for big contracts and we don't want to pay them. We'll go ahead with the build through the draft thing and bring in assets for them. It worked out nicely in all those cases, but the one, and and this is not Monday morning quarterbacking, and I think most listeners would share this take, on the day of the deal, people were like, wait a minute, 
You, you, I mean, even now this season, we've we've watched them bring in veteran attempts at veteran leadership to guide the kids. Oh my God! At the time, I hated the deal. I and and I mean, there there were opportunities well before he left in free agency to get the guy done long term when he was still still kind of simmering as a player like not he did he, basically when he left we knew he was going to be a star but you could have signed him long term in two three years before that but they kept going bridge deal short-term deal you know show me deal yeah. and yeah. anywhere in there they could have signed him up to a seven eight year contract and locked that guy up and they would have been fine but anyway yeah that that was the one that I think sends fans and I think you were in the same boat uh, really just hated from the outset because he'd just be the perfect guy to be wearing the C right now. Think about you know how much Brady Kachuk loved that guy. Uh, the whole team did, and it would have been perfect to keep that guy around. Just It's it's very frustrating. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, but I will say this. Wait till the last two or three years of that deal, and you and I sit down over a beer, and we'll talk about it and say, okay, do we still want him around now? Because I just have a feeling it turns into a Bobby Ryan by the end. We'll see, though. Yes, but, but that's I watched okay. Him, I watched him tally up uh, five apples the other night, played a hell of a game. My God, he's something to watch most nights, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And and what he'd bring off the ice in the dressing room on top Definitely. of that. Because it's just a matter of they got the right idea this year by bringing in veteran leaders, but <laughs> you still have to have some game out on the ice. Yeah. You know, good in the room? Well, go ahead and stay there. That's the old <laughs> adage. And, and Mark Stone... He would lead on the ice and off the ice, and uh, and just it's ridiculous that they didn't get that done. And I, I I agree with you. I think there's a chance because he's not the the world's greatest skater, though I think he gets around better than people think. Um, in the last couple of years of that contract, yeah, it might look bad, but so what? Buy yeah. him out. You you will have gotten the best of Mark Stone at, at the most important time of a rebuild, and you can't skimp out on stuff like that. If you're skimping out on Mark Stone then you should question whether you want to be a part of this club that is the NHL. You know, yeah. either you, if you want to be part of this thing, then you have to ante up at the poker table. You can't just show up at the poker table and just say, nah, I don't feel like anteing up. What do you mean? Well, you're not going to have any success then. In fact, you're not even in the game. So anyway, there's my poker well, analogy, I guess. <laughs> anti-fold, anti-fold, anti-fold. Yes. But, that, but here, here's the thing, though, that, that, that you took a PR hit obviously, when you traded him, would it not have been better to take that PR hit five years from now when he's underachieving for his salary and you just buy him out and send him away? 100%. That would have, yeah, right? That would be a bad PR hit because the fans are going to love him and, oh, he's our favorite player, he's our captain, and, oh, my God, what are you doing? You're buying him out and shuffling him off. Well, it would have been better to do it then than do it when you did do it. Right. And maybe you don't even have to do anything in the way of a buyout at the end of the contract. Maybe... It's just a matter of dropping him down in the order. He's a very good first liner now, but maybe you drop him down in the order late in his career, and he's just fine there, and uh, and everything's okay. And you, you have a couple of sunset years for the player. Anyway, enough about Mark Stone. Uh, let's get a take from DJ Smith on the state of the team after the most recent game, a 7-3 loss to the Flames. Yeah, we weren't very good. Um, we had, you know, looked look to me um, that we had no legs, um, certainly at the start and ran right on through, we just, uh, looked like we were skating uphill. Um, and you know, we, we maybe found it for a few minutes here and there, but, um, you know, as a whole, we just didn't have much tonight. Hate to sound like an alarmist, but, uh, did the, did your D zone coverage take a step back here this evening? Well, we were slow to every puck and, uh, you know, they won every battle. Um, and, and when you, and when you're not sharp and you, and you don't have your legs, uh, you know, you don't get loose pucks, um, you know, all the, all the way around everything we did, we just weren't sharp. Um, I was just going to say it's, it's probably unfair to single out individual performances or lack thereof here tonight. Are you just sort of saying five man units when they were out there just didn't do the job? Yeah, that's for sure. It's our, this was to finish seven games in 11 nights, um, you know, with travel, no, there's no excuse for for that game tonight. Um, but um, I think it's one of those ones. Um, you know, when you when you when you're that flat, it's it's tough to judge your team. Final hand is Bruce Garriott at Post Media. Hey DJ, did you just making the goalie change? Um, just felt like you had to do something. Yeah, um, I, I think you know our team was flat. I think you know the, I think you could say the same for. 
um, you know, the goalie. Um, you know, I think everyone was in in the group together, and I thought it was a good opportunity to get Joey some minutes. Um, you know, played well in in Montreal, and 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 we've played a lot of games, so there was no point uh, for me uh, to keep Matt going there, give him a breather, and uh, and we'll get back at it next game. Can you can you put your finger at all on why you why you would have that kind of start? Uh, it's tough to say. Just uh, you know, we we just didn't have any legs, and uh, they they were prepared. We just beat them, um, you know, handily in our building, and and they come back and they were ready. And uh, you know, we weren't ready to stop and start and do all the things that we had to do or or that we did the other night. Um, and uh, you know, they were the better team today. Coach, will you take a Ryan Zingle uh, coming back in July? Oh, he was good. Um, you know what? He had, he was probably the one guy that had legs. Um, you know, he had he had good legs. He had he was dangerous offensively. He worked. He was physical. Um, you know, he he was probably our best player. So there's Coach DJ Smith here as we record this on Friday, March fifth, on the current state of the team and uh, what they were up to in that seven three loss to Calgary to open up that uh, that two gamer in Alberta, and uh, certainly the west western portion of the country wow. has not been kind to the Sands, for sure. You're DJ Smith. Like, let's face it, everything he said in that clip is, like, shocker. He never heard that before. Um, but every single night, like, win or lose, you got to sit somewhere with a bunch of mics in your face, you know, uh, and now it's a camera. You know, it's not even very personal at all now. And you got to come up with answers and things to say, like... It's no wonder that athletes and coaches and GMs and everybody in sport are are always throwing out cliches. Like, what the hell do you expect the guy to say? You know, like you got to come up with something different to say. Yeah, we weren't moving our feet. We didn't work hard enough. We we let up in the third. We didn't get pucks deep. You know, like think about that for a minute. How the hell do you come up with something to say every single night? And one of the struggles is that you always have to answer for the deficiencies and the things that are missing and the problems and the mistakes. Yeah. You know, you're sitting there as a coach and, you know, you're coaching out in Slave Lake, Alberta right now, a junior hockey club, and there are so many things that go into being a coach from, you know, making sure yeah. pucks are at the rank, the, the smallest of things to the biggest of things. And you do 200 things well, and the 201st thing that, that goes sideways, that's what you have to account for. And that I'm sure is that, you know, true in the NHL. You sit there and you did a lot of things well as a coach of that team on that day and have been for, you know, you know the, the season. But it's, it's this thing or that. It would be really frustrating uh, as someone who's coached and as someone who's been a media guy grilling a coach. It feels like I would not have a lot of time for people who are in there, Johnny come lately's, who uh, you know showed up for two periods to watch a game, and you know they had all the answers to everything <laughs> going on. That's part of being in the media too, so I get both sides of it. But uh, yeah, it would be frustrating sometimes when you've got to field questions for people who really are only getting a tiny snapshot of what's going on in the big picture. Yeah, or or you can just be the coach that loses to Ottawa, or the coach that beats Ottawa seven to three, and you still get the same fate as the guy that lost to Ottawa. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, the Sens, <laughs> yeah. are, the Sens are getting guys fired all over the place. We saw it in our last episode. We talked about how the Montreal Canadiens ended up firing Claude Julien and hiring Dominic Ducharme, the former Team Canada World Junior coach, a uh, very good Quebec junior coach as well. And, uh, yeah, we wondered about that with the Sens winning not just once, but twice over the Calgary Flames, like, these two teams have been teeing off on each other. They've played four games this year. They're two and two against each other, and every game's been a blowout. And in Ottawa's case, they won six to one and five one in the period of what uh, a week. And I got to think that that had a lot to do with uh, why Brad Tree Living did what he did, and that is fire Jeff Ward and replaced him with uh, the old coot, <laughs> as I like to call him, <laughs> Daryl Sutter, who's had uh, tremendous success. L.A. Kings head coach. Uh, winning two Stanley Cups with them, took the Flames to a Stanley Cup final before they bowed out in 4 to Tampa Bay. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think p fans of those clubs would probably say, well, it's more than just losing to the Sens. But I think the stigma of losing to the Sens with the two GMs in question, I think that played a large role in it, quite frankly. <laughs> really? I I'd do. Like to, I, well, I'd like to think for the sake of these two poor gentlemen that had more to do with just losing one game. 
right? when we talk about when decisions are made, yeah. obviously, obviously there's lots of road that has been uh, traveled to get to this point. But when we're talking about final straws, if you go to bed at night and you say, God, we can't even beat the sad sack <laughs> Ottawa Senators who've been terrible, not just this year, but last three years, that's the final straw. Yeah, okay, but then, then you've got Jeff Ward. Obviously, that, there's more to it than just that because he goes ahead and hammers them 7-3 to three last night. So there must have been things underlying there. I've, I've, I've Actually, I, I know both gentlemen, and the irony is that um, – that they they worked for each other. Like Wardo was uh, was Claude's assistant many years ago with the Hab Farm team in Hamilton. That's pretty much where Wardo got into the into the pros after a stint in Europe, and he coached in Kitchener for a year. Um, and they coached together, of course, with the Boston Bruins. Claude Julia was the head coach of the Stanley Cup, and Wardo was one of his assistants. So here they are getting fired a, a week or so apart after poor outings against the Ottawa Senators. But I, there, there was obviously something underlying. In both cases, uh, in Jeff Ward, it must have been something pretty big because, yeah, you don't normally get fired after a win, right? I think in Wardo's cases, he probably the, the man was an assistant coach for many, many, many years, right? He's has not been a head coach at, at any level of uh, of significance in quite a while. So I just I, I wondered at the time when he was made interim coach, and then he ended up having a bit of success, and it's kind of. If you're a GM and your interim coach has some success, well, now what do you do? You're kind of stuck with it. Okay, fine, I'll promote him. But I, I'll bet he wasn't on the top of the list for Treliving to become head coach back at that time. But it just kind of, he might have got backdoored into it. We always talk about coaches and whether the game passes them by at some stage. You know, we're talking, what, seven years ago, Daryl Sutter was a Stanley Cup winning head coach with the LA Kings and in fact won a couple with the Kings. What do you like about Daryl Sutter as a choice? Well, if you like it at all. Yeah, that one caught me off guard. Um, it, it makes you think, okay, like did they really take their time about this? So let's back it up and think, okay, the decision was sort of made or things were put into a different gear after the loss to the senators. Then you start thinking, all right, we're going to get rid of this guy. What kind of replacements are out there? Uh, and this was the best you could come up with. So basically, he 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 hasn't coached in the league in three years, four years. What twenty seventeen? He left the Kings, um, right. and apparently was going home to be a rancher, going back to the family farm, which is what every Sutter does when they when they lose a job <laughs> or quit a job. I'm going back to the farm. Um, but I know that he came back with the Ducks and uh, a year or two ago as an advisor. Um, I, I just I don't know like. What is his reason for this? Why did Calgary pick him? Was he their first choice or was he, we need to get rid of this guy uh, who's available. Oh, let's bring Daryl Sutter back. I just, he's not a guy who's out there, whose name is out there. Every time there's been an opening for the last two years, you haven't heard anybody saying, oh, hey, Daryl Sutter's available. You know, so I just, it it caught me off guard and I really don't know if he's going to be effective or ineffective or who knows, like, you know. It'll be interesting to see how that turns out. That's for sure. Well, maybe some of the suits are thinking about the good old days as they watch the flames kind of spiral out of the uh, out of the mix here and watch them lose in a two-game span to the Ottawa Senators by a combined count of 11-2. to two. My guess is that was final straw stuff around the time the decision was made. And I'm not saying it's exclusively because of that, but uh, that might have been the final straw. And they get sitting down around a boardroom and they go, you know, the good old days. Remember, we were like really good back then. And and who was leading us back then? Because he was a, you know, Sutter was a general manager for a long time as well. Led them to their last uh, cup appearance in, in 04, where they probably should have won. Marty Jelena looked like he'd won the game in game six. But, uh, you know, that's the balance of the puck, as they say. But uh, that may have played into it as well. They know that uh, the guy knows Calgary well, knows the market well, and uh, may have been a desire to just go back to the good old days and uh, and Daryl Sutter maybe filled that bill. Okay, but wait a minute. The good old days. This is a franchise that won a Stanley Cup in 1989, right? Uh, they went to the final, as you just said, in, was it 04? It was 05. 04. 05 didn't exist. 05 is a lockout, sorry. 04, right. they go to the Cup final. You know how many playoff series they've won since then? Um, uh, one. Wow. One. There are no good old days, <laughs> right? Like, uh, good old days is a generation ago for this franchise. So I just, uh, is this really the answer? 
is Daryl Sutter really the answer? I don't think so, but I can be proven wrong. Well, they had him all set up with a three-year contract, so they feel pretty good about uh, this particular hire, and we'll see how it goes. Um, do you believe that, though, that sometimes the game can pass by some yes. coaches? Or do you, okay, why do you yeah. think that? Well, it, it, to the same way the world passes people by, if you're not willing to change and adapt and improvise and, and find ways to get better, uh, you're stuck in your steadfast ways and you become the get-off-my-lawn curmudgeon um, in any walk of life. It, things are going to pass you by. If you're still, I mean, there's still coaches out there that want to play a dump and chase and hammer and grind and beat people up and violent game. And that let's face it, the game has passed those guys by at, at the highest levels. Um, uh, there's, there's one particular guy who lasted forever, who won lots and lots and lots of games, also lost lots and lots and lots of games, but the game passed him by a long time ago and he still had a job for a long time. I think you may know who I'm talking about, but we don't need to get into that. But there, okay, I won't, I won't make you name a name. Then. There's um, lots of guys. There's lots yeah. of guys where the, the game passes you by. And you had a good take. Uh, it was the last episode, but it was, you know, what goes into being a great coach. And often, often it's left aside that, you know, you can have some great coaches, but man, I mean, the starting point is what's your talent level like in front of you? Like what, what kind of horses have you been handed? And so many times... You'll see a good coach that you know that if he was handed the right tools, the the great horses, uh, a good team in front of him, that they could really be successful. But they only get a, gl- a, a brief glimpse because they take over a crap team and they never get a shot again. And the other side of the coin as well, guys who are handed the keys to a Cadillac who are marginal coaches, they manage the personalities and such. But as, as far as hockey coaches go and being truly great at every element of the hockey coaching profession you kind of roll your eyes at them yeah and, and and you're absolutely right it's it's talent first and foremost you if you don't have talent you will not have success i don't care how smart you are i don't care how good a teacher you are i don't care how good a systems analyst whatever you want to be you need talent first and foremost right and i, I think that day you were talking i think it was the wally show the coach needs yeah. talent the coach needs a game plan and the coach needs to be able to get the the, uh, the talent to execute the game plan and that's it if you have, but it starts with the damn talent, and the, the list is long of of guys who coach in the NHL who never really got to ever coach a good team. You know, and you scratch your head, and say, "Oh, the poor guy." You know, like I think of a guy like how far back do we have to go? Like you could even make the argument that poor Roger Nielsen never really got to coach a lot of talent until the one year he went to New York and he butted heads with Messier. Up until that point, he'd never really coached high end, really good team. He'd overachieved with many teams, which speaks to his ability to coach, but he never really had, wow, look at all this talent. Well, poor guy, but managed to make a career out of it and did very well for himself. But he's one of those guys who just never got the big clump of talent. Meanwhile, you've got a Mike Keenan or a Scotty Bowman who everywhere they went, well, uh, maybe Keenan at the end, not so much with his last couple stops, but always had lots of talent. And they were, right. uh, duh, they were successful. Yeah, I would say the same thing about goalies as well. I want to talk about that in a moment. But you mentioned the Wally show. We should give a shout out to our pal Brent Wallace from TSN, who uh, has gotten right back on that horse. He jumped on this show a couple of weeks ago to talk about uh, Bell Media and uh, and his days at TSN and, and, and next steps. And of course, about the Ottawa Senators here in the Sens Nation podcast. And uh, Wally has joined us now in the podcast world. And uh, congratulations to he and Mark Mathot as they fire up their, I guess it's, I don't even know what to call it. I guess call it a, both a video podcast and podcast. It's available on YouTube and all, all the podcast channels as well. But uh, they had their debut today. So congratulations to them. And I know you joined me in uh, wishing our friend Wally well. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I might even watch it. There you go. <laughs> Looks really good. It's got all those guys oh, um, yeah. like Craig, Craig Medalia and a couple of the other guys that were uh, the former Sens social media guys, and they're geniuses. Uh, and you know what? From a Sens fan perspective, you should be disappointed that those guys aren't working for the Ottawa Senators anymore because they made the social media side of things for the Ottawa Senators a whole lot of fun. The Sens, shame yes. on them, honestly, for letting those guys go. Did you see the preview with the Burgundy uh, the preview video they put out? I did. It was great. Well, yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> with Wally's Ron Burgundy, it was very good. 
News Team Unite. <laughs> yeah, very go. good. But I mentioned uh, my comparison to coaches and goalies. You know, coaches need to have the horses. And goalies, on the other hand, need to have stuff going well in the D-zone coverage to have any kind of success at all. So there's been all kinds of talk, Greg, about Matt Murray. Good Murray or bad Murray. And since we last had a podcast or an episode, uh, Murray has started in three of those four games. He won of the three. He won one and not only lost the other two, but he had to be replaced in those two. And how, I mean, how patient should we be? We mentioned Mark Mathot. He, he put a thing out today on social media that everybody needs to be patient. It'll come. Things are a bit uh, sketchy in the D zone coverage. Where are you at with Matt Murray at this stage? Because it just it, the good Murray, bad Murray thing is driving Sens fans crazy right now. Yeah, I, I, I would agree that we need to uh, be a little more patient here because the good Murray is there. That tells you that that technically he still has it. Um, but there are nights where he is, uh, we've said it many times, way deep in his net on scoring chances, opportunities in front of him. We're like, well, how come he didn't see that coming? How come he didn't look ready for that? He is still adjusting to the core of defensemen playing in front of him. Uh, their tendencies and their movements and where they're going. And if he turns that way, he's probably going to do this. And, you know, when he gets a better read on his uh, on the team in front of him, especially the six uh, core defensemen, he will be better. But having said all of that, the six core defensemen seems to change from night to night. So that makes it difficult, not only on him, obviously, but on the six guys and the forwards trying to figure out the D. And there's adjustments being made. Um the influx of new players needs to be considered in this. Um, the the um, the changes in the lineup, my God, how many changes in lineups have we looked at this year? The youth of a lot of the guys up front. There's just a lot of things here. And everybody says, oh, we're going to be patient. We're building, we're building. Okay, this this step might take a little longer and a little more patient. I think we got to hang with Murray for a little bit longer because, let's face it, we're financially hanging with him anyway. And time will tell. Until... We really look at this team and say that blue line is a solid core right now. It's hard to fully judge Matt Murray because, honestly, I don't think anybody would be having a tremendous amount of success right now in the current environment right now. My concern is this, though. Um, I think that Murray may just be one of those guys that is really square to the puck and blocks a lot of shots. What he seems to lack consistently to me is those sort of elite reaction saves, like those long shots Right. Um, he, he continues to get beaten cleanly or leave like this this gross rebound. And if you've got good defensive zone coverage that uh, that really takes away the other team's time and space, you could probably win with that still like Pittsburgh did. Structure and Jacques Martin. Yeah, that's that's certainly part of it, too. If, if your deal is, you know, you're whiffing at long shots and you're leaving big rebounds in Pittsburgh with good defense and structure, like you talked about with Jacques Martin, you know, those rebounds are being cleared quickly or time and space is being taken away. Right now, it feels like the rebounds aren't being cleared. And right now, it doesn't feel like the Sens are taking away the time and space, allowing shooters way too much room to really, you know, almost like they're at practice where they can really pick where they want to shoot. If they don't have time and space, they're just trying to get a puck on net. And uh, right now, they're taking advantage. That's how it feels right now. Yeah, but like I said off the top, I still think it's it's so hard to judge. Okay, so so then is it is the D zone uh, tire fire? Is it coaching? Is it system? Or is it personnel? What is the problem? Well, I mean, to me, there's so many things about teaching the game of hockey that are difficult. But what to do in defensive zone coverage is not real high skill. It's a matter of read and react the puck goes here the player with the puck goes here you do this because this is your position on the ice this is your role you do this so I I don't know I think probably it's a case of coaching I just watch a team that on some nights looks like they have no clue where they're supposed to be or what they're supposed to be doing on other nights they've got it down pat so on those nights when they look like they don't know where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to be doing, I'm thinking, my God, have they not been taught the system for God's sakes? What's the matter with them? But then when I see that they can do it, now it's like, all right, so they maybe they have been taught, 
They just can't execute it. Are they all too dumb or are they just not good enough? Well, I think I, they're cheating and I don't think there's consequences enough for, for well, the cheating. Maybe. It's like it, it's like any, you know, development of kids, development of hockey players. If you're doing something you're not supposed to do, well, I tell you to stop that. And if you keep doing it, there needs to be consequences of some kind. Removal of ice time. But uh, it's yeah. tough when you're a coach when you don't have much of a hammer. Some of these guys making $8 million a year just doing what they want out there. And I guess ice time is the only real you know, hammer that they actually have in some cases. But that's my thought that I think that yeah, no, probably some guys are that's, cheating. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're right. I, I See, I, I always looked at it as you're looking at it as the guy's just, you know, doing the wrong thing because he thinks he should be doing this or he, like cheating, as you said. And I'm looking at it as the guy's like a dummy. What the, what are you doing over there? You know, you're supposed to be over there. So right. is he consciously doing the wrong thing because he wants to, or is he, that's, that's what it comes down to. Is a player doing the wrong thing because he wants to, or is he doing the wrong thing because he's too dumb to know what the right thing is? And that's right. probably the essential question that needs to be answered by the coaching staff in order to evaluate why you can't execute properly. What a different world coaches are in right now when oh. you factor in what coaches used to have as the hammer in the 50s and 60s. <laughs> they literally could just do whatever they wanted. It was uh, There wasn't the scrutiny that there is now. Uh, there wasn't the paycheck involved. You know, if you wanted to send a guy to the minors, you could send him up and down. No worry about waivers or anything like that. Oh, you're too cool for school? You th- you don't think I know what I'm talking about here? Why don't you go down and ride the buses and suck some diesel fumes for a while and uh, and get your head on straight and we'll have you back later on? Like, just, there's just so little that uh, that coaches can do these days. They, there's so little in their arsenal to uh, to get these guys to straighten up and fly right. Contracts play into it. Uh, one-way deals, two-way deals. Um, the relationship between the agent and the GM and the relationship between the GM and the coach. There's so much crap involved. You can't just do what you want to do, what's best for the big picture. Every decision can't be made that way. It does tie their hands. And when you're a team that's struggling and uh, doesn't appear to have enough talent, it makes it all the more difficult. And we've got to live through games like this last three-game stretch here. No movement clause. That's the Ugh. one that drives me crazy. It's like not enough that you have guaranteed money. No matter how garbage you play throughout your contract, you are guaranteed that money. That's not enough. We have a no movement clause in there as well. I can't send you down. I can't trade you without you know you coming up with a bunch of teams or whatever you got in your contract. That's the one that drives me crazy. And and I I just these guys yeah. who run the NHL, their owners. They've got to have some level of intelligence to come up with the, you know, the lot in life they have in most cases. I'm sure some of them have inherited their dough, but you're, you're probably a smart person to, to be a billionaire. You got to be. Uh, and, and somehow, some way, you've allowed this to happen. It's only a 31-member club, this NHL thing. I know you're all competitors, but man, you guys have just allowed this thing to get way out of control. Yeah, like the no trade clause was enough, but no, they added the no movement clause, which is it's like right. For those that don't know, the no trade clause is well, you can't trade me. The no movement clause can't be placed on waivers, can't be sent to the miners, can't be. Uh, what else could you possibly do with a guy for movement wise? But he just, in other words, he's here. No ifs, ands, or buts. He's got a roster spot for life or for length right. of contract. Just crazy. I'm surprised there's not a no play clause, you know, if I on any given night, if I don't feel like playing and I want to play some Fortnite tonight, put my feet up on the ottoman and, you know, maybe smoke some weed or something, then I should be able to enforce my no play clause like X amount of times per year. We're probably headed there. Uh, A couple of other things before we wrap up the show today. Ryan Dezingle made his debut for the Ottawa Senators in that 7-3 loss to Calgary. Had a nice goal in the game, whipping down the... uh, the wing after picking the pocket of a fallen defenseman at uh, the defensive blue line went in and uh, slid one past David Riddick. Uh, beyond that, I can't say that I noticed him a ton in the game. Did you have any thoughts on Dezingle's debut? <laughs> Not really. Old school Dezingle. Uh, we were talking off air before we started recording here about his quote where he said he, he felt a little uh, out, of, out of place or out of sorts, he said in the beginning and, and thought that... Uh, you know, wasn't playing well, or what was the rest of the quote he said, Steve? I don't even remember now. Yeah, he said he felt a little out of sorts, and uh, it cost us. It cost us. Like, yeah, I'm not cost sure exactly what? how. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. I thought, yeah, he was fine. Old school Dezingo with some flat out speed and scored a goal. Great. Yeah, glad to have you back. 
He was the only guy on the team, if you buy into the plus-minus stat, who was not a minus. Everybody else was a minus in that hockey game. Do we want to go down Logan Brown Lane again? I know you're getting a little fed up with that discussion. He is celebrating his 23rd birthday, and he is in the process of playing five games here in Ottawa that very very well could make or break his NHL career in Ottawa, but playing with the Belleville Senators, who are going to play the rest of their games at the CTC here in town. Um, Will this five games kind of settle his score? No, no. We almost made it, Steve. 45 minutes into it, and we almost made it through the whole show without having to discuss Logan Brown. <laughs> All right. You, you've turned, you're tur- you want to turn oh, the page and never God. speak of him again. <laughs> Let's talk about it after he's played. How about that? Is he going to get up here and play four or five games? No. He's on his way down to Belleville. Sorry, well, Ottawa. He's going to play a bunch of games in, for Belleville, and then maybe he's going to come up. I don't know. Who cares? All right. We'll review it after he's played his five games. Yeah. Uh, there were there were fans who were going off already because because oh. he you know he played it's like okay then I'm not seeing much there and okay well <laughs> we'll leave it for now all right we're gonna Thank be Logan you. Brown a Logan Brown free zone until he's played these five games it's a clause in my ne- contract uh, <laughs> a no <laughs> Logan clause <laughs> yeah there you go. all right uh, unfortunately we have to end the show on uh, a somber note in that uh, the, the entire hockey world is reacting today with the passing of Walter Gretzky yesterday at the age of 82. Um, I'll, I'll float it out to you. I've already talked about it quite a bit today on a couple of radio shows and on the uh, the uh, daily show I do, the Steve Warren Project at stevewproject.com. What, what about you? Like, What were your thoughts when you heard about the passing of Walter Gretzky? Well, essentially, the the world's most famous hockey dad, right? Like, We don't, we yep. don't know a lot about anybody else's hockey dads, uh, you know, you might have heard some stories about Doug uh, Orr, but uh, really, Walter is the was the ultimate world's most famous hockey dad. And I love listening to stories about people who just come up to the front door and knock on the door. Walter would let him in the house and take him downstairs and show him the little the mini basement museum to anybody who came by the house. He was he was always welcoming people into his home. I thought that was that's that's great. I never left that home, right? Eventually, yeah. they uh, they stopped building the outdoor rink and put in a pool, but otherwise, the house has been the exact same since the day they moved into it, essentially. Yeah, I'd be shocked if uh, the city of Brantford, with the passing of Walter yesterday, doesn't turn that, yeah. that house on Verratti into some sort of a Gretzky museum, uh, a shrine, not just to Wayne, but to Walter as well. And uh, I've always fascinated with uh, how fascinated we were with the whole Walter Gretzky thing, because like you mentioned, you know, I can't think of another father of an athlete that that had so much attention, like, you know, whoever right. you want to say, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, Mario Lemieux, whatever. Like, do you even know their dad's names? Do you even know what they look like? Whereas we know so much about Walter Gretzky. And I think it it really all goes back to uh, and, you know, you and I are the same vintage. Uh, when we go back to the 80s and 90s, remembering those days vividly, we were all just mesmerized by anything to do with Wayne Gretzky. And this is all before, you know, sports radio and stuff and, and the TSNs of the world. And, and we were just still consumed with, with the guy's story. Cause he was like nothing we'd ever seen before. Like yeah. phenom, like we throw phenom as hockey analysts. Now we throw phenom around so loosely. And, and that wasn't nearly strong enough word for this guy. Cause we had never seen anything like this. And he was a total rock star. And so that all plays into it. And, and then not, not only that, I think about, and I think back to your old, your, your old radio show, The Grassroots of Things, um, the grassroots storyline of fathers and sons and, and the love affair that, you know, well, that fathers and sons have. And, and then the love affair we have with, with hockey and outdoor rinks. And if you grew up on hockey, as most people listening right now did, you loved the outdoor rink. And, and when you got older, you introduced your son or your daughter to the outdoor rink. And uh, all the way along, you had the dreams, right? And Gretzky lived it. And it was really inspiring to see it. And uh, all the old family films they had of this uh, this little kid plugging around in his snowsuit yeah. on the rink, <laughs> going from that to this cajillionaire hockey legend. So Walter was coach. Walter had a regimen, and there, there's footage of Walter uh, showing drawing up a schedule of school, homework, ODR, dinner, back to the ODR, specific things like skating, shooting, written on this schedule when Wayne would be out on the ODR in the backyard. Like he, he was a bit of a taskmaster at sometimes too. It's funny. You don't. I don't know if you knew that part. 
Yeah, I've heard uh, Wayne talk about it, and he'd always sort of punctuate the commentary. You know, my dad had me doing this when I was four years old, and he had me out there with tennis balls, and I'd be out there. He'd have me out there for hours. And then at the end, I think he realized he was going down the road of suggesting that his dad was a taskmaster. (laughs) But he always, and and I'm sure he was sincere about this. I should say that. Um, He would always say, it was because I loved it, though. And uh, right. it did. It always seemed like Walter had the, the little kid in mind first before the hockey player. And I saw it. If you go on YouTube, you can see video of when Wayne was 14. He wanted to play at the higher level, probably the OHL by that stage. Right. Um, he wanted to play at the higher level, and they were having they wouldn't let him. And they had all these, um, you know, all these big meetings with minor hockey and stuff. And they said no. And in, and Walter gave an interview, and the the media was like, you know what's the deal and you know what do you think and he was you know he's certainly concerned that they weren't letting uh, Wayne and the family make the decision and that they were taking the decision out of their hands but he also talked about how because they the follow-up question was what do you think this means to your son's career he's like career he's a 14 year old <laughs> boy and that's all he is career don't get me a, he wants to do this because it makes him happy and so it always did seem like Wally put at least the, the kid first and ahead of the hockey career. It's a sad day, I guess, to to hockey fans and to hockey dads and people who've come to know him kind of like as our the communal hockey dad of all hockey dads. Yeah, and uh, and Jimmy, uh, Jim Jerome, yes. uh, co-host, for those who do not know, uh, most would know, I think, that listen to this one. Um, Jimmy's been super tight with the Gretzky family for more than 30 years, and we actually found out about Walter's passing mid-show as we recorded it last night because we did it right after the Sens Flames game and uh, Jim had some great and emotional memories about uh, Canada's hockey dad. You can hear that at stevewproject.com Okay, with that we shall call it quits. We'd love it if you uh, if you're enjoying the show we'd uh, we'd love it if you were to subscribe and share uh, check out our website it is sensnationhockey.com and uh, lots of cool stuff there. Lots of uh, neat articles about the Ottawa Senators as well. And an archive of all our old shows are contained right there. One-stop shopping. So uh, we appreciate you joining us. Greg, uh, enjoy the week. Uh, any final thoughts before we go today? Uh, I'm going back to my no Logan Brown. <laughs> I'm holding you to that. You said we're going to wait till he's played five games. I'm holding you to it. Fair enough. Although that may all be right. done by the time we convene next for our next episode. I'm just saying. Just we'll, saying. Okay. All right. All right. Bye. Whatever. Have a good week, buddy. You too. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye.